Uh, I'd like to call the meeting to order the January 18th. Um, tonight is our retreat. And I uh, don't really know what our schedule is to be, so I'm going to hand it over to you, Allison. That roll works. Call. Um, oh, we do have roll call. Um, Scott Rooser? Here. Rodney Rutherford? Here. Katya Allen? Yes. Bria Heiser? Here. Aaron Jacobson? Here. Angela Rosman? Here. And Sandeep Singal? Here. All right, so tonight, um, like we talked about last week, just keeping it casual, people can continue to snack as we chat, and we have a couple items to go over. Um, there's also cake back there if anyone wants to take another run through the line. So um, <clears throat> we'll keep it casual, restrooms upstairs and downstairs if you need it. Um, but the first item wanted to bring back the planning work program um, to you all. So we talked about this in um, quite a bit of detail of in December. Um, and so I took your feedback and turned that into a draft. Um, wanted to get any questions answered that you have about what you see in front of you. Um, also any, any changes that the planning commission might want to see in the planning work program. Um, if planning commission feels ready tonight, we can go ahead and kind of accept this as your recommendation to city council. Um, and then at the conclusion of your conversation about the planning work program, also wanted to talk to the commission about how you want to deliver the recommendation to council. I know over the course of last year, we talked a few different times kind of about joint sessions or if we send the chair and the vice chair to present things. So just wanted to have a group conversation about how you want to do that um, this year. So with that, I'll hand it over to your chair, Icer, for questions, comments, thoughts on the draft work program. So any commissioners have questions on it? Did you already specifically speak about these? Or <coughs> no, the, this draft program for the year ahead, kind of our working order, the, the long Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at this as, a, as pieces of paper. So, or I think there's something else there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I do have a question. Um, I'm kind of curious how uh, decisions in the comprehensive plan update filter into what we're working on in 2025. Um, I know, Allison, I talked to you via email. Mm -hmm. um, if we do decide to go forward with accessory commercial units, you said that we would, uh, that would be part of the home item 25 home occupation allowances. Um, the idea around, so I'm curious the, where the ideas around um, minimum lot sizes and uh, the transit walk shed development, where those would fit in um, in the items that we have listed here, or if we would need to create new work items for those. Great question. Um, <clears throat> and so for the items that you see listed in the work program already that have the asterisk on them, those are tasks that we already have. I think just about all of these are carry throughs from the 2325 work program that we were waiting to start until we got through this comp plan update. Um, with the idea that policies adopted in the comp plan will kind of give us the direction that we're going with the parking amendments. For example, are we going, you know, is the policy that you ultimately recommend to council and gets adopted to reduce parking in all districts or just residential districts or just commercial districts, or is it to consider or study removing parking minimums? So looking to get kind of the direction set in the policy so that when we start looking at the zoning code amendments, 
we'll kind of know where we're where we're starting from. Um, for the ones that you mentioned, Commissioner Jacobson, I think that we'd be looking to get get a project added in um, because they don't. We had a general um, we had a general topic on here. I think with the legislation that passed last year, the general task to implement comp plan policies kind of fell off. So depending on what gets adopted in the comp plan, we might be doing a pretty quick turnaround on, on adding some of those in. Um, but we could certainly add that back in if there's any specific items the commission is interested in um, to uh, follow up on comp plan work. When would be the next time we review the planning work program again, if presumably after the comprehensive plan update? Yeah, it'll be pretty, we'll aim for the same timeline next year. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Commissioner uh, Singal. Okay, I just wanted to confirm the Kingsgate and Juanita neighborhood plan updates. That's the last time we're going to see a neighborhood update on a plan because going forward, we're just going to align with the neighborhood with the comp plan updates, or is there something special about That's this one? Yeah, that's correct, Commissioner Singh. Also, we'd be looking at those neighborhood plans with the periodic update of the comp plan, um, and that goes to a 10-year cycle. After yeah. this update, it's been eight-year cycles previously. Um, <clears throat> however, we still have the community-initiated amendment request process, so that runs biannually. So we accept um, applications for those community-initiated requests in one year and then we review them the next year. So there is still a pathway for individual neighborhoods to propose changes if they want them. If something rose to a level of importance as a result of planning commissioner council direction, you know, we could sure. add one offs. But the idea is that we're not constantly working on a neighborhood plan update moving forward. And and just to be just a follow up, are we doing something special? Like I'm I'm trying to figure out if and we're doing the comp plan update, all the neighborhood plans are getting touched as part of the comp plan update. Is the fact that we're calling this particular one out just because the outreach process is different or some other reason? Yeah, so these are the two neighborhoods that haven't had, I guess what I'd call like a contemporary update. So. Um, when North Juanita and Kingsgate were annexed into the city in 2011, they got, um, we carried over a lot of King County stuff, but they didn't really get the in-depth neighborhood engagement like we have done for all of the other okay. ones. So these are the only two that haven't okay. been kind of had a modern update. Yeah, and just if I could just add just one thing to what Ali said. Um, we're still, we're a little bit in conversations with neighborhood associations and can as well about the neighborhood plan update process. Um, I think there was a little bit of um, consternation about the change in approach um, from you know, updating, dedicating a couple of staff to updating two plans every single year or so to um, doing everything together. And so I think what we're trying to do is work with can and work with neighborhood associations to figure out an approach that yeah, might be individual neighborhood associations bringing forth a community amendment request if they feel like there's a need to, uh, an urgent need to change their neighborhood plans. But there might also be like a yearly check-in with Ken or a yearly check-in with neighborhood associations so um, that we can remind them that, hey, like your neighborhood plan can be updated every, whenever it needs to be updated, you don't have to wait 10 years to update your neighborhood plan. So that's sort of an ongoing conversation with um, Ken and other groups as well. 
<clears throat> Angela. Um, so I'm looking at the design review item. Is there anything that Planning Commission actually has to do for task 16? Well, one of, we haven't completely scoped that one yet. And so there's a lot of different ways we think we could accomplish compliance with that bill. One route could include turning a lot of the design guidelines that technically live in the municipal code into design standards that live in the zoning code. So there might, there might be depending on what approach we decide on. And we're still kind of waiting on some comprehensive guidance from, from commerce or the state on that one. We haven't seen a lot come out. So yeah, we do want to reserve some time um, because we have a lot of design guidelines that we're going to have to, to touch. I um, have a quick question. Um, on 9 and 10, uh, the Houghton Village and the Park and Ride, uh, so have they, has the city kind of generated ideas of what they want to see? Because it seems like it's so vague right now. Uh, and especially with the parks uh, not going through, have they generated some ideas of is that one of the reasons why it's to be determined that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I can start and I think Adam might have a little more detail than me um, because council talked about the park and ride site on Tuesday at their meeting. For Houghton Village, um, we, the, the neighborhood plan policies already on the books kind of encourage, you know, active commercial uses, neighborhood oriented retail. Um, council also has an ex expressed interest in affordable housing there or community services. So some type of mixed use that perhaps combined, you know, community based organizations with affordable housing or workforce housing opportunities. Um, the city over the past year has done some outreach to neighboring property owners and also kind of just businesses in the area. So um, we've talked to Northwest University, for example, because it's close um, nearby to see if there might be any kind of complimentary uses or opportunities to partner. And the council did in December um, authorize staff to go ahead and do a development plan for the site, um, what was formerly known as a master plan for the site. So that's what's going on with Houghton Village. Um, trying to accomplish some of the neighborhood goals for, you know, something that's activated and has community space, but also provides some housing per council's direction. On the park and ride site, um, council just discussed on Tuesday different ideas to activate that site in the short term. Um, and then in the long term, we did, um, as we discussed with you last year, we did change the land use designation to that transit-oriented development, which is pretty open. It could be a lot of different things when we get to zoning. Um, so I think it's still a little open-ended. Um, and I'll kick it to Adam if there's any details from maybe a little bit about council's conversation right. on Tuesday. Sure, yeah. So um, before you start, yeah, can I ask sure. us one oh, sure. clarifying question? Mm -hmm. So when we say Houghton Village, does that include the entire area or just the area that the city currently owns? Oh, great question. Um, and so Houghton Village is the site proper that the city owns. So the property that included the former PCC. Um, and then the thought has been, so staff recommended and council endorsed that when we do the development plan for that site, that we include the properties to the 
east. So that would be Houghton Plaza, where the Minchies used to be. And then um, also plan for the site to the east, which is the site that would potentially provide a link between the Houghton Village site and the CKC. Um, and so doing a development plan for all three of those properties won't obligate anyone to redevelop. Um, so those other property owners until they wish to, but it would set some standards for when they do so that we can make that a cohesive area. Okay. Great question. Thanks for asking that. Yeah, if you guys are interested in what council is considering right now for Houghton Park and Ride, or for, yeah, for Houghton Park and Ride, um, lots of ideas were presented on Tuesday night, but they range from um, food trucks to um, pop-up uh, pickleball courts to a bike um, pump park, like a little mountain bike um, park um, that could be installed temporarily. Um, yeah, food trucks, um, community flea markets, um, a fire training facility, like a temporary training fire training facility. And then also some of the space could be reserved for um, staging for the big construction project that will happen in the station area by WashDOT. So WashDOT is, could potentially lease some of the space and still leave a lot of the, the site available for community uses. So that's what's being considered. Um, I think the Parks Department and other departments will be coming back with some more specific proposals with costing as well. And, and then council will give some more guidance after that. So no decisions have been made yet um, for the site. But there's definitely an eagerness to do something that activates mm -hmm. this like really big, um, well-located site, so. Commissioner Singal. Just from a meeting cadence, if you, just following up on the Houghton Village site, just if we're gonna be looking at a development plan that spans that broad an area, um, historically, that has been a super sensitive uh, area that's involved a ton of community input and public and public hearings and just a lot of a lot of public comments. So as we're planning that, we should anticipate a fair amount of meeting time to be devoted to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, yeah. I just uh, have clarifying questions. So the the other portion that was going to be considered for that um, was that it's not the metropolitan market site that's kind of butts up to the doesn't that butt up to the Cross Kirkland corridor? The I'd have to I'm not sure if the property lines go all the way, but it's only looking at the properties um, north of 68th. Okay. So not the okay. Metropolitan Market site. And that's also the dividing line between the Everest and the Houghton neighborhoods. So we're only talking about the parcels that are in the Everest, Everest. neighborhood okay. north of 68th. Okay. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Allen. <laughs> yes. Um, going to number seven, can um, you just tell us more about what the Smart City Strategic Plan is? Um, specifically, and what kind of funding there is Yes, thanks. Um, so um, one of the really cool resources that we got in our department over the last couple of years is a new resiliency and technology officer who was formerly in the IT department, actually. Um, she was the manager of the GIS department, Zhang Zhang. Um, and she was transferred to our department to really help us think about using data effectively to make good policy decisions and then to also focus on making the city more resilient using technology. And so one of the first things that we did 
that John Ning did was um, work on a smart city master plan. We hired a consulting firm to help us out with that. We had a big uh, multi-department um, group of, of folks who helped craft it. And it's really about a, a plan for using technology effectively in the city to make Kirkland more livable and sustainable um, and um, resilient. And it acknowledges that like we already use technology a lot in the city, um, right from like drones to um, you know, doing digital inspections, um, which happened during the COVID era, to, to body-worn cameras in the police department and lots of other things as well. We recognize also that um, those technology efforts weren't super coordinated, that like different departments don't always know what other departments are doing. And so the smart city plan was less about like identifying new technology projects and more about coordinating effectively what we already have and considering when specific technology-oriented projects need more attention. So. The Smart City Master Plan is more a procedural document to, yes, again, like shape how we're using technology in the city. And um, what will happen under the umbrella of the Smart City Plan is that individual departments will identify projects as part of their own work programs that need technology that might be part of the Smart City process. And if they're part of the Smart City process, they'll benefit from a more like multidisciplinary effort and sort of guiding them. Um, and so individual departments will come up with um, budget as part of their, you know, the regular two-year budget process to fund those projects. So there's not like a big pot of money allocated for smart city projects. It'll come from department needs. It's also like the intention too is that the technology needs come from service needs. Like we're not chasing a brand new technology just because it exists. We're trying to solve a problem and that's sort of laid out in the, in the smart city plan too. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I have one last question. Um, I don't see any uh, in 2024 community initiated amendments. Are did, have we had not have? Am I missing it or um, did we not have anybody apply? So the community initiated amendment requests in we are accepting applications again this year. They're due by December. This year, we're continuing to review the community-initiated amendment requests that you all completed the threshold review for last year, and we're doing those under the broad umbrella of the comp plan update. So for the submitted community-initiated amendment request, that's the PARMAC site and the ALABI CAR, which is a, like a pretty minor use change on Market Street, um, and then the other two that we're studying are being studied under the umbrella of the, the Juanita neighborhood plan update. Uh -huh. And you're going to hear a lot more about those next week uh, when we give you a, your briefing on that one. So that's the Michaels site and the so Goodwill, site. Goodwill site. Yeah. Commissioner Rutherford. Thanks. Um, I'm, uh, uh, we've been getting a lot of comments about uh, a lot of interest in the updating of the uh, uh, Missing Middle ADU, um, and you know, I, I know that a lot of us here are interested in that as well. Um, and then I see there's uh, some interest, you know, both in the plan of like home home occupation allowances, which also affect um, how you know what, what's allowed to be done in our lower density zones. And we've been talking about um, uh, maybe uh, some interest in other areas, such as neighborhood oriented commercial, simplifying overall. Uh, some of the, uh, uh, you know, as, as part of the comprehensive plan uh, proposed policies, simplifying some of the, you know, the, the, the broad variety of uh, zone types um, in the lower density zone. 
and so I see there's like a whole theme here. Um, and on one hand, it feels like it should be somewhat coordinated. On the other hand, I wouldn't want to see like everything get bogged down as one giant project. So um, are there possibilities for approaching something like that in a more incremental iterative approach um, where we can do, um, you know, identify what are the highest priority things, you know, obviously the state compliance things we do first. And then as we're working through that, we might come up with ideas that we want to address later, but not try to like force those to be incorporated in that. Um, maybe that is, uh, you know, we put that on the back burner, but it's, you know, maybe if there's one planner that's assigned to that and a, you know, uh, continuous sort of theme, you know, you can define this is within the scope for what we're doing now. This is what we're going to do next. And then these other things are going to be done later. But um, I think that a lot of these are going to be conversations where we have, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, and there needs to be some level of coordination without bogging down the whole, the whole thing and now enabling it to, to move with agility um, uh, and incrementally. Is that something that, do you see a way for that to maybe work or help things flow better? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great note. And I, I definitely think we can be responsive to that. You know, the, the advantage of how our, the planning and building department is operated is that, you know, Adam and I are seeing everything that's kind of getting worked on on the work program. So in terms of coordination and kind of knowing what every hand is doing, I think we've got a pretty good handle on that. Um, a lot of the reason that we do this in quarters and not months and the reason that the, the quarters are kind of a guesstimate is it we exercise some liberty to to do that, to extend projects if we need to phase something out. You saw us phase out the station area plan quite a bit. And yeah. so we're not binding ourselves to this. And I think that especially with some of the bigger projects that we have in front of us that are coming out of the comp plan work, like the housing work, like honestly, I think the parking work too, I could see us perhaps going through a little bit of a scoping exercise with planning commission as we kick those projects off. Um, but we certainly want to try to do everything as efficiently as possible, but also recognize the priority that planning commission has in putting some of these projects on the list. Yeah. And so I, I hope I, I think we can be pretty kind of figure out how to get through things most efficiently. Yeah, I, I wasn't looking for more like fine grained advanced planning, but more um, just the ability to, you know, cleanly scope. What are we working on now? Mm -hmm. What is next? And what are what's uh, what are we doing on the future just to keep, you know, make sure that we're able to make, you know, well-defined progress in a particular area and then. Um, know, have the confidence that there are these other things that we think are important that need to be addressed mm -hmm. uh, soon thereafter, but to keep us focused and this is what we're going to do now. Mm -hmm. With, without like time boxing in advance, at least, you know, exactly how much that is, is time that's going to take on each. Yeah, I think we can do that. And we'll, we'll probably have to do that a little bit with some of the state legislation um, yeah, you know, yeah. there's a certain, certain things we'll have to get done and certain things that might um, warrant a little more time. Any other questions from commissioners? Great. Is that enough feedback for you? It is, unless there's any kind of shifting around you want to do on priorities. Oh, well, I was going to make sure, are we going to talk about how we're going to present this to council? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, so I think that'd be the next thing, just talking about if the commission has a desire. I know that 
I think it's pretty likely that we'll try to set up a joint study session at some point with you and council to talk some of the bigger comp plan items. Um, that is likely, whenever we do get that scheduled, likely to be a pretty packed study session. Um, and so we could try to sneak this in if the whole commission has an interest in talking work program with council, or if we wanted to get that done a little sooner, um, I would suggest maybe sending uh, your chair and or vice chair um, to deliver it or staff can always just take it to it really is up to you all. Commissioner Allen. I'd like to suggest that um, our chair and vice chair uh, represent the team. Too. I, you know what, I'm fine with that. I did like what the way we did it for the, um, when we had the last features of the station area where we had a joint study session mm -hmm. because everybody on the commission had a, a chance to say something if they wanted. So uh, if everyone's comfortable with us presenting, I think that's great. But I, you know, if anyone wants to speak up, uh, I think a study session is great too. So either way. I think there'll be lots of opportunities for study sessions as well with the comp plan. So, um, and obviously like a lot of the concepts in the planning work program will get expressed in the comp plan as well. So I, I do think there'll be lots of opportunities to, there can be lots of opportunities for you guys to talk with the plant, with the city council and exchange ideas and so forth. So okay. it's not like it's um, planning work program, joint study session or nothing. There'll be other opportunities. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Mr. Rosman. Um, so also, I guess I, I do really like joint sessions when they make sense, but looking at the like planning work program, we're kind of locked into our list, right? So it feels like, you know, I don't know how much conversation there is because when we finalize how much this, selling we have to do. How much because like there are just a lot of things that like we have to do and we don't have a choice. So I don't know if it really gets us anywhere to have a joint session on this specifically. Okay. Great. So all in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. All right. So um, what we'll do is I'll coordinate with um, Chair Reiser and Vice Chair Rutherford um, to get this finalized into its final draft format, uh, get a staff memo written, and then we'll coordinate and find a date we can uh, get it to council. Perfect. Thank you. All right, and the next item, um, does anyone need a cake break? Okay. Um, so this next item is one that I've been previewing with you all. I think your last few meetings um, just have a real interest in having a conversation with planning commission um, about you know, how we can best support you with all this comprehensive plan work. Um, I think it was kind of nice that you had your first sort of proper policy briefing on the land use element last week. So you kind of see what information we provided, how that conversation <coughs> went. Um, so we're looking for feedback so we can kind of template that process moving forward so that you're getting information in a similar format for all of the elements upcoming. The presentations will kind of follow a similar format, um, but want to know what worked well and what didn't work well. Um, and so I did uh, provide kind of six prompting questions for you all. Um, if you wanna 
walk through those together. We'll be taking notes. Um, would love to walk away from tonight with, with feedback that I can kind of turn into a best practices list for our staff team. Um, but yeah, just wanna make sure you all feel really well supported with all the work that you have to do over the, the course of this year, because it is a lot. Sorry, Mr. Rice, do you wanna go question by question or if people sure, just wanna use these as prompts? Okay. Uh, so yeah, for the first one, I, I think we just wanna know, you know, is there other background information that you feel like you're, you're missing? Um, do you have the background information you need and you're ready to jump into the elements at this point? I would say, uh, oh, go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> um, I don't know if the commission has discussed this since I'm so new, um, but I know that I've talked with you about the distinction between planning for an amount of growth and allowing for capacity. Um, and I've talked with council members and they weren't all familiar with that distinction. Um, we have, we'll have the whole conversation on how much housing we want to allow, but as I understand, even maintaining the station area the station area plan capacity would require allowing for more capacity than our growth targets suggest. Um, so I think it would be helpful if we have a written document on that, On uh, that would make it clear. And I know that's something that it's hard because even PSRC hasn't been all that clear on it, but I think that would be helpful. Great. That's great. Commissioner Rutherford. I think it's it's tough to say what we need to know because you don't know what you need to know until you know that you need mm -hmm. to know it. Um, but yeah, I I would favor you know feel I would encourage you to share resources with us that we can study outside of meetings. Um, I, I know there's a lot of um, what is it the municipal resources center that they have a lot of great resources there, um, and you know there's. Of course, a lot of things in motion now. So uh, things that have changed, things that we might think are the way things work. And, you know, since, you know, this isn't our day job, um, <laughs> keeping up with all those changes is, you know, challenging for you and that much more challenging for us. So um, but please, you know, share, share resources. Um, uh, uh, but the more that we can do without bogging down our meetings, you know, asynchronously, uh, great I would say along those lines uh, especially after the last legislative session uh, there were so many changes and Angela's so good at being up on it but I I'll admit I'm not up on everything and it'd be nice sometimes just to have a written what were those changes are you interested um, Therese, are you, are you interested in um, tracking bills as they're moving through the legislature right now, or are you interested in what I gets adopted? I would say not every bill, because if they're not going to make it through, it's uh -huh. not as pertinent to us. But if it's very likely that it is going that direction. Uh -huh. um, and sometimes, I, I will say, and I, I brought up earlier to you uh, my ignorance on hey, well, when we allow something in Kirkland, can the CCARs of a certain neighborhood override it? Uh, because uh, when we were up at the um, Kingsgate, uh, someone was going off on, you know, ADUs and, you know, and I said, well, I, I believe they're allowed anywhere in Kirkland. And 
half the neighborhood is like, not in my neighborhood. And, <laughs> and I had to shut up because I was like, well, I don't really know what your neighborhood rules are. So it would be, some of that is nice to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, where do the CCARs overrule what Kirkland has allowed us mm-hmm. to Yeah. Yeah. And just really quickly, I mean, I I think we can answer that question. Um, We don't care at all about um, CCNRs or private covenants when we receive permits for things. Uh So we never, ever check with an HOA or CCNRs whether an ADU is is allowed. We simply issue the permit. And then if the person who gets the permit is in an HOA that doesn't allow ADUs and they go ahead and build their ADU, then it becomes a civil matter with the HOA. So um, we simply just stay out of that business completely. But it's a serious interest in the city that CCNR is not preclude all the planning work that is being recommended by the planning commission and adopted by the city council. So one of our state legislative priorities is, is looking into that and seeing if there are ways to resolve that. But generally speaking, the legislature has stayed away from meddling with um, private agreements because they don't feel like they can legally annul existing agreements unless they're contrary to like the state constitution, for instance. Are there very many, it'd be kind of neat to know if there's a map where we can look at, okay, where are there neighborhoods that have uh, pretty strong, I know that's a lot of work, but (laughs) if there is, It's a lot. It's um, most of Kingsgate. Uh Um, And uh, I just want to plug for anyone who's interested in learning more about like the history of CCRs and HOAs. If you have not read The Color of Law, it is a really great one to figure out, you know, this was systemic racism from its get-go. And, uh, you know, that's what we're living with now. But um, these were not, you know, things that accidentally happened. They were very intentionally done to exclude parts of our community. And I would say um, it really depends on the CCNRs that are written. So, I mean, those big developments are probably kind of more what you're talking about. But CCNRs, um, you know, I actually just had, I had some written up for our two-lot short plot that we did. And it's not, if you read it, it's just about, hey, you know, take your holiday lights down, take your political signs down, you know, a month after, or put them up a month before. It's not, um, you know, they're not all terrible and (laughs) I think I'm going to get some pushback there um but you know there there is some of that that's not um you know so overbearing there Mm -hmm. there is still some of that and it's just generally to keep up um you know to keep up the houses um and to just have pride in in your in your home so some of that I mean I guess they're, they're still, you know, they're still very legal to put on property and I've done it with my attorneys and, um, but in, in good faith, you know, in good faith. So, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with, um, you know, abolishing CCNRs, but that <laughs> may not be up to us anyway, you know, with our, our feelings on that. So um, that's going to be a state legislative issue, I guess. And just to be clear, like, yeah, this, the city, I think the official city position is not yeah, opposed to all CCNRs, just the ones yeah. that preclude us from meeting our housing goals, for instance, and mm-hmm. doing some other things, but not necessarily mm-hmm. opposed to CCNRs in general. Yeah. 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 We're also obligated by the state with this housing element update that we're doing in the comprehensive plan to make a, 
a good faith effort to identify any racially restrictive covenants we might have existing in the city and show that we've tried to identify any areas where we have very specifically exclusive CCNRs like that. Um, so that's that's something that's undergoing now um, that we'll be doing our best to as comprehensively as we can include in that um, the history appendix that we talked with you about last week. So trying to document where we have um, have had CCNRs or do have CCNRs that are racially restrictive specifically. I'd be surprised if those were still there. That's very sad. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, this might be a lot to ask, but is, is it possible to, for you to provide a summary of what the, or just analyze what the growth targets were 10, 20 years ago and see how they, how they panned out? Um, the, I know that when I tried to look this up before, I just ended up at the, I think 2021 King County Gro Urban Growth Report or something like that. I mean, it had each, all the cities in King County and the percentage uh, over or under that they uh, shot their jobs and housing targets. Um, and I found, I found that useful and I'm wondering if there's anything more like that. Yeah, we can, we can check with the county. I mean, we definitely presented that data several years ago. Um, I think for the last set of growth targets, because there is like a five-year check-in mm -hmm. that the county does on growth targets. How are how our cities performing? Are any corrective measures needed? So um, maybe we could, we'll give the county a call and to see if they have that readily available. Yeah. That'd be really good to see. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. As a follow-up on that, is that only looking at um, like actual, like what's being permitted and built, or is it somehow uh, evaluating what is the actual demand for housing? How you know, are there people who um, are our commute distances growing for people who work in, in town, for example? Or what is the affordability of the distribution of affordability of housing versus um, uh, the wages in the community? I think they're primarily, I mean, the way that they've been looked at in the past, because that's a really complex subject, right? Um, but a really important one. But I think, yeah, the focus in the past has been, yeah, how, how much growth has a community experienced in relation to the targets, as opposed to is, are the targets right? Um, and then when the targets are crafted, right, and Aaron knows a lot about this as well, but like, there's just a lot of debate on what's the right level of what's the right amount of growth that individual communities should be absorbing. And um, it becomes a little bit of a political endeavor, right? There's a little bit of push and pull between communities that want more growth and communities that don't want more growth. But ultimately, it's based on yeah projections that are determined by PSRC for the region that then get allocated to counties. So it's, you know, it's theoretically a scientific endeavor at the beginning that projects how much growth is likely to happen, but it's right. It's like, it's an art, not a science. And there's a definitely a margin of error. And, um, and yeah, we'll see how it plays out in the future, but it's definitely not a perfect um, process, I think. And the, the county has issued a housing needs assessment that has a lot of really interesting information in it that we can send out to you all if you haven't seen it yet. And then we'll also be completing a housing needs assessment for Kirkland. Um, it's not, it's, it's a little hard to get super specific and know, you know, we have, but it, it does put some numbers and some visuals to, you know, the different income brackets of, of households that already live in Kirkland and starts to um, kind of uh, help us define our problem statement. I think we're all probably well aware of generally what our problem statement is on housing, but 
that'll provide us with a little bit more detail. So we're working on that right now, kind of as a companion piece to the community profile that's almost finished. So more to come on that. Um, not really related to the Growth Management Act, but I know we're doing the capacity analysis. Would it be possible to, and we, I think we already have the no action capacity analysis done. Would it be possible to get the like parcel by parcel capacity numbers, um, how much each parcel is contributing to capacity? Um, I think that would be really helpful to know, especially when it use, potentially using the capacity for jobs as a measurement for the demand for housing in that area. We do, we, yeah, we do have that information on a parcel level. Um, delivering it is, it's a lot of, of data, so we could figure out how to get it to folks that are interested. Um, as we report it out to Planning Commission, I think we've contemplated bringing it more on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis and looking at if we can do some heat, some heat mm -hmm. maps and stuff that help visualize it. But um, what we can probably do is kind of introduce you to the information that we have. And then if the commission is interested in us following up with some analysis, we'll have the ability to do that. And then, um, yeah, if any individual is interested in more specific information, we can talk about how to make that available. Okay, thanks. Yeah. That's a lot for one question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does some of this cover other areas that we're looking down or is- um, Chair Reiser, I, not really. <laughs> okay. But I uh, think some of the other questions will overlap with each okay. other. Uh, Mr. Sandy. I guess one thing that um, has always bothered me as we talk about land use and um, is that we pay very, we seem to pay very little attention to what's happening on the other side of the city boundary, um, especially the, obviously at the edges of the city. And so I wonder as we, as we look at overall zoning uh, whether we can get more visibility into what neighboring cities are actually also anticipating or planning as they're going through similar processes. Yeah, I think we can we can work on that. That sounds like a good research project for um, one of our planners that's looking for some long range experience. So yeah, I think we can we could get that. Okay. Um, Sandeep, are you talking mostly about like what cities are around us are doing with their comp plans, or are you more talking about like individual development projects that are being proposed? Actually, now that you've opened the uh, open Pandora's box, I'd love to say I'd say all of the above, but in, but um, more specifically, you know, we look at zoning, we look at zoning and land use up to the line. In particular, what I'm curious about is what is, the, what is the next city doing with their comp plan on the other side of the line? Uh -huh. And are we going to end up with, like, are we creating a continuity that makes sense? Uh -huh. Or are we actually planning in different directions? Uh, I see. Okay. But uh, the other thing you mentioned would also be good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Allen. To follow up, I, I can understand, for example, like at Bridal Trails, you have directly across the street is Redmond, but clearly that's just kind of a singular neighborhood type use area. So it certainly does make sense to know very literally what's going on across the street. Um, but in a more macro way too, um, per Adam's question, you know, there's a lot of these, like us talking about parking and affordable housing and Missy Middle, these aren't unique to Kirkland, obviously. <laughs> so, um, 
just in an effort to know what our neighbors are doing. And maybe, you know, they might be steps ahead of us. They have, might have more research than us or just different perspectives. That's why, you know, there's more than one person on applying commission, right? <laughs> um, just to, to see these different ideas and know what's going on in these cities. Because they can be a couple years ahead of us too and already fail at something we're trying to push through and not even know it was a big zero. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be, especially on some of these hotter issues, super helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could work on compiling some of that information. We have been checking in. Um, in fact, Scott Guter had a meeting this afternoon with some of the other similarly sized cities in the area to compare notes on housing. So um, I think we could probably compile some of that information and bring it to you. Yeah, yeah and a lot of that happen, does happen at the staff level. We're not great probably at bringing those ideas to you, but um, like we work on a lot of inter-jurisdictional inter staff committees as well, including one that's under the umbrella of the county where we meet every month and cities will talk about what they're doing. Um, and so we hear a lot about, yeah, what other cities are doing. And that, that helps us make sure that we're, yeah, in line with other cities in a lot of cases. And it also exposes us to ideas that other cities are thinking about that we should be thinking about as well. So, but you're right, it's a good, really great point and that we can do better at sort of bringing some of those ideas and concepts to you guys, so. Okay, if there's no more uh, input on item one, we can probably move on. <laughs> um, all right, so next question. Um, I know we've talked a little bit um, to you about kind of the level of detail we're talking about when we're talking about comprehensive plan goals and policies versus zoning code development standards. And we'll try to continue to provide guidance on that as we bring it to you for each individual element, but just wondering if there's any additional guidance that you feel like you need on that or if there's any way that we can bring you that information or any any kind of distinction we could make that would be helpful as you move through your conversations. Maybe there was a little bit of overlap. I think when we started the station area, we weren't used to it. And uh, it was a big education curve. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> So I think we're probably a little bit better than we used to be uh, on it. Uh, I hope that both for this and the previous one that there are common resources that will cover most of it, that you won't have to spend a lot of time pulling stuff together yourself and that we can um, you know, hopefully use the same resources that other cities are, are using for the, the most part because it's all about the, the broader um, uh, regulatory space that we're working in. Any other comments from commissioners? Commissioner Allen. I think you kind of went over this at the last meeting because I think I had yeah. a question about this. So I think you did a great job last time. And so anybody who was there and listened to it <laughs> should have a good answer. And we can continue. So we provided examples specific to each element like that for our, um, our focus groups. So we can include a, a slide like that just to give you a specific example for each element as we bring it to you if it's helpful. It helps us. Great. I think we can probably move on. Okay. Um, so the next question, it's, it's, it's a little long because Adam and I edited it together. Um, and so, Basically, what the question is getting at, and you can all read it for yourselves as well, but 
you know, these elements, some of them have a lot of goals and policies in them, um, especially as we add in new policies to address new issues or state requirements or regional requirements. And so um, we gave you a preview with the land use briefing last week of, you know, we give you all the draft goals and policies in your packet, but in the course of a meeting, we can't talk about 80 policies individually. And so um, last week, you know, we tried to curate kind of the ones that we thought were most important for planning commission to focus on. And a lot of the great direction you gave us last week, we can carry through to the element or the policies that we might not have necessarily talked about but wanted to get some feedback from all of you now that you've been through one of those briefings on if we kind of focused you in on what you thought were the appropriate ones to focus in on. So if a similar approach would work or if you had any other feedback on that. Um, and then that the picture of the slide is just sort of the six main reasons we might amend any given goal or policy. And then the sort of the amendment reasons that we that we focused in on. So focusing kind of away from the ones that we have to do, because we have to do them, focusing more on the ones where there's a, a lot of play in them still. Commissioner Jacobson. I thought it went pretty well. Um, I don't think there were very many times where any of us wanted, to, I think there were only less than 10 that we highlighted at the end that you didn't bring up. Um, so I think you chose the right ones there. Um, just a general comment, and I know it's not always possible, but uh, the policy on minimum lot size would have been great to have in the packet or mm -hmm. um, not only in the presentation. Yeah, thank you for that note, absolutely. And so obviously that sort of level of <coughs> policy would be good to have ahead of time. Yeah. Commissioner Rutherford. I was wondering, I realize I brought up a few of those at the tail end that, uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe, uh, I slash we should be more um, proactive about raising, you know, identifying and raising uh, areas where we think there might be some need to address or at least get some clarification uh, in advance. Um, I know there, there's a lot of um, places where, where it was well annotated about like this is required because then I stumbled into the one, into one that, that, that wasn't annotated like that and was an excellent clarification of the uh, growth, growth boundary. No, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. Urban separators. Ur urban separators, that's right. Yes, urban separators. Yeah, that was our, our terminology of the night. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if that would just give staff more to wade through or if that would help staff, you know, you know if, if we had the, you know, the view of the list, like this is coming up in, you know, not not when the public when the packet is produced but you know even before the packet is produced this is what's in the works and then we can maybe give some early feedback on these are some things that that maybe we'd like to take a closer look at or poke at or yeah i think that's i think that's definitely helpful i know one of the things that um chair reiser and i talked about around last week's meeting was that we're gonna try the best we can to sort of highlight in if you're getting a big matrix full of, you know, tens of policies that we kind of highlight ahead of time. So you have in your packet, which ones we're planning on bringing up for discussion. Um, and, and we always welcome, you know, any questions you have before the meeting or 
um, if we give you those, if you see those that matrix and you want to make sure we discuss any policies, giving us a heads up on that so we can get it in the deck and be ready is super helpful. So that's always welcome. And then we're gonna we're gonna try to at least give you a little bit more of a heads up on which ones we're gonna plan to talk about too. Thanks. I I also brought up to Allison that. What I find is helpful is when we get questions before the packet instead of like at the end, because then we're reading the questions and thinking about it as we read the packet. So that's always helpful because it kind of gives us a note of what the, you know, city and planners are, you know, asking us to narrow in on. Didn't Commissioner Tim Chisholm um, suggest a memo at the beginning? <laughs> that gave us such <laughs> I don't know. Just starting to do the um, narrowing down with what we should be focused on, like just the questions that staff asked for planning commission was really helpful. We started that started happening about a year ago or so. I, I don't know, sometime recently, but that was really helpful because you get a stack of you know eighty pages and not exactly know. Yeah, how to, how to focus on that. So that was very helpful to do that would be great. Okay, any other comments? Great, I think we can move on. All right. Um, and so the next one um, is a, just a little bit more specific, but a similar question about the staff memos. You know, if we're providing a good level of background information for you in those, if, um, they're too long or too short. I think we, we try to limit repeating information. We've started sort of linking back to previous packets more than we used to. Um, but if there's something that's you know particularly handy to have up front in that memo for you, um, just wanted some feedback on that. And then also um, I provided just a one page of the, um, of the policy matrix that you got last week, um, just to serve as a reminder. Um, so wanted to know if those kind of four columns that we provided you with, that, so that information for each individual goal or policy, if that feels like the right information, so we continue that through, if there's anything additional that you'd want or, um, so yeah, just some feedback on the, on the memos and, and that kind of template format for the um, matrix. Great. Uh, Angela. So I think part of this is moving from the like physical packets to the e-packets not including it all isn't necessary because we can link and pull stuff up. So I, I think it's okay if the actual packet is more just like the meat of what we're talking about with notes of if you want to read more, it's easy to just like click and link versus if you're flipping through a packet, it's not as easy to go find it online. That's super helpful. It makes it easier for us too. <laughs> Great. Katja, did you have a question? Uh, Come. Um, I really like this and I liked it because I was able to see like, oh, state mandated. I don't really have to read it because I don't have any say in it pretty much. <laughs> or, or I can choose whether or not I'm going to take the time to do that and focus in on the other things. Um, and then, so I guess it, this might be a little bit of double work, but if we're going to, if in the meat, uh, more of the narration of our memo, um, 
is we're going to discuss these ones. Maybe they're also then highlighted in a different color or there's an asterisk. It's like these are the ones. So the, the, so again, kind of as you're, since we're not flipping back and forth and we're scrolling up and down, because <laughs> I was, I know I did, I did a lot of scrolling yeah. last time. So it would just be a little bit um, helpful there. I'd say as far as the background, I feel like we kind of go a little deep on the background every time and being reminded every time this is the calendar and here's all the background. It's like a half a page. And, I usually honestly skip it. To me, it's um, redundant. But if it helps other people, then get other feedback. Yeah, that's my feedback. Uh, anyway. That's helpful. I have a Go ahead. Uh, minor thing. Uh, when you give us a big table like this, can you give it? I would appreciate it if we had the original spreadsheet uh, because I I. Mm often just make notes on spreadsheets myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I went and found a website that converts PDFs to spreadsheets just to do it for this. Uh, so having the original, the original spreadsheet would make it a lot easier for me to navigate it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, yeah, we can start doing that. Thank you. Thanks. And if we forget, feel free to remind us, but I'm noting it. <laughs> I'm incredibly old school and printed it out. And wrote it <laughs> <Me> <laughs> I would say, I, you know, the comment I would have, um, I think for our meeting's sake, sometimes it's great to hear the history in the first meeting, but if we have three meetings on the same topic, I don't think we have to go back over the history. Okay. And, and similar in the in the packet, I think, uh -huh. you know, like uh, when when we and I, you know, I, just to reiterate what others have said the more that there is like copied over from previous ones, the less I'm sure about like, what are the things that have changed? What are the things that I need to know that are different this time than previous times? Um, and, you know, just referencing, like we talked about this at the last one um, or, you know, a few months ago, and then we can, we can refer back to that. Um, and yeah. And then also, yeah, refer back to also to our, our notes from, <laughs> from those prior meetings as well. So. Great. Yeah. And, you might still see, and this just might be my personal preference, you might still see a little bit of information repeat up front. And I, we've done that a little bit for the benefit of community members that might be joining us new, but as we get more comfortable with linking to previous ones, you know, we can definitely look for opportunities to link more, repeat, repeat less. Um, and you, you might just still see like a little intro paragraph or something, but we can definitely move more in that direction, I think. Yeah, or I think our staff will be happy to, yeah. to hear your notes or, on that one. Or, or make that easier to, to scan or like identify, oh yeah, you know, like when, yeah. We were, when we last saw our heroes, they were you know, looking over this block of text. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, we can do that. And I think, you know, so we don't offend community members. I think we're welcome to say at any meeting, at our last meeting, we yeah. went over the history of So is there any other questions on this one? Great. Oh. I was going to make a concrete a suggestion just to bridge the gap between our flawless memories and, and the community. Simply here, having the intro page simply be a, here's a list of the previous meetings with links to the previous mm. packets may be sufficient. 
right? Or links to the previous packets and even minutes. Um, but again, in a digital world, it's easier to go follow the links. And that way you don't need to have the narrative, but you can provide the continuity for somebody who's coming into the, coming into the newest packet fresh. Thank you. That's a great suggestion. Love that. Thank you. Okay, I think we're, we can move on to the next one. All right. Um, so this is a fun one because we're talking about schedules. Um, so I think, I think we started talking a little bit when we were working through the station area plan about some of the meetings that we had that, that started going pretty long. And at some point, I think we got some feedback from what felt like at least a majority of the commission to try to limit our meetings to you know two to three hours to make sure you all had the the bandwidth to kind of make some of those big decisions you were making and so since then we've tried to sort of put items um or curate the meeting schedule to keep the meetings a little bit shorter a couple hours maybe a little bit longer um recognizing that we we do have a lot of work to get through in this next year wanted to talk to you all about your preferences around you know if two approximately two hour meetings a month isn't enough to get through some of these policy reviews. If we do need to find extra time, what would the commission's preference be? Um, I think we could accommodate a, a couple, at least a couple different things. We could, you know, try to give you a heads up when we think this is gonna be a long meeting. It might be a seven to 10 or a little bit later meeting. We could look at starting our meetings earlier, which we've talked about a, a couple different times. Um, we could do some special meetings, which we had to do for the station area a couple times. So just looking to kind of have the commission discuss preferences around that. So if we do need to exercise finding some time, we know kind of what way will work best for, for the group we have here right now. Yeah, I would throw in just one more thing too, which I don't think we explicitly mentioned, but like, I mean, there's also, again, this, this doesn't necessarily work perfect for everybody, but, um, there's also the possibility of doing daytime meetings as well. Like. The city council has retreats sometimes that start at nine o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning and then go until 2.30. So I know that's not always perfect for the public, but people have really flexible schedules these days. And like for some people, probably doing meetings in the day might be better than the evening. So I just want to throw that out there as well. That is a possibility too that we could explore if, that, if you guys feel like that's better for you and or the public. We're not putting weekend meetings on the, on the table. <laughs> Just wanted to make that one clear. <laughs> Angela. I guess before we talk about a possible daytime, is anyone not able to do that? Because there's no point in talking about it if. I would greatly dislike it, okay. but I can probably make it work with enough heads up. Okay. I, I'm gonna ask a question. Would it be a once in a lifetime thing? <laughs> or is it something um, that, we would do it fairly regularly. I think we're asking, I mean, it's, it's up to you, right? I mean, I, I just wanted to throw that out there as an option. We don't really talk about daytime meetings all that much, but um, I just wanted to throw it out there. It is a real option. And again, it's not, no, no preference on the staff side. If it doesn't work for folks, like let's not do it. Yeah. I'm going to say it should be something we don't take off the table, but uh, since it is during work hours that it probably is easier not to, but uh, 
the reason I asked if it was, yeah, if it was something that we really needed to get a meeting in and um, daytime would be appropriate, I, I, I couldn't say let's not do it. Um, I, I don't mind, you know, additional evenings in the month, um, personally, um, and I could make a daytime work, but probably not, oh yeah, we have three this month. Um, that would be tough. So Angela. I, I guess continuing, um, are there any of these where I'm also thinking about like flexibility and stuff? Is there a way to do like a virtual only if it was like an extra hour or two that we needed? I don't know if that is as much or more work on staff's end, but sometimes if it would just be like an hour or something to like squeeze it out of a different day, mm. maybe as another idea. Otherwise I think. I would rather start early and keep them, like if we're coming in physically to City Hall, I'd rather keep that to the number we have um, and, and just make them earlier and or later. We can, add, we, can, we can kind of follow up on the idea of a virtual only meeting, I think. I'm thinking not like when we're having like a lot of deliberation, but if it's like you have something that you need to present to us that we don't necessarily have a ton of back and forth, maybe, you know, maybe that works. I would also probably say something that we're not expecting a lot of public comment on. And the main reason is we saw such a huge drop in our attendance during the Zoom meetings. Commissioner Allen. Um, I probably also have a preference for just either sticking it out till past 10 <laughs> or coming in and starting at five or six even or something if we have a longer agenda. Um, but I would also, to people who are parents, um, I would I would give them the preference for it because I, I don't have that um, as a thing <laughs> earlier. But, or if your kids are asleep or if okay. it, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <Really>? but. <laughs> But I do think it is helpful to know in advance because I can't, sometimes I look at the um, agenda and I think, oh, we're going to be out of there in an hour and a half. And then I'm so wrong. <laughs> so I, and I don't know if that's just me, but if you guys have an idea that something's going to be long, plan for a long one. Mm -hmm. You guys will probably be there till then. It is good to know in advance. I can take a nap or mm -hmm. drink more caffeine or drink less <laughs> <laughs> or make sure we get a bathroom break maybe. But um, uh, but I, the heads up, I think, would certainly be nice. And it, for me personally, again, just meeting at six early, it's probably the easiest thing mm -hmm. to do versus another day or trying to set up a, yeah, just something altogether different. Rodney, did you have a comment? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm personally pretty flexible to whenever, um, uh, but uh, I, you know, building on the, concept of the virtual meeting, I wonder if there'd be interest or if it would be helpful to have even like, if you had like a, a you know, the presentation is a virtual meeting earlier in the week before, you know, we, we all come together so we can like have a chance to like receive all the information, ask ask any questions and then, you know, like we, we all, you know, land in, in the chambers and we're all like, we've had time to like go and learn more about it independently and we can, you know, just run, hit the floor running. Um, 
when we when we get in, but I don't know how that would work for others. There's a possibility if we ever n wanted to dig into that more, it, just in terms of like the lift, um, that we could like record a presentation and send it, you know, put it on the planning commission website so it's available to you and the public at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and it wouldn't be a formal meeting that we need to complete notice for because there wouldn't be a discussion or, or questions. So we could look at that if we knew we had like a lot of information to get to you. We can keep that, yeah, kind of in the hopper as an idea. I like that. Commissioner Allen. I think it's a good, a great idea. And I think like with a stationary plan, we were taken in small groups. Mm -hmm. That was, that was physical, you know, in person. Um, but uh, to keep it under the amount of people we needed, but also to be able to have some in, kind of intensive time for Q&A too mm -hmm. um, with staff. So I like the idea of the video or I know it'd be more staff intensive to do small meetings and stuff in advance, but if it were a, uh, again, like a particularly heavy lift that does require that extra kind of understanding and mm -hmm. such, then video or whatever sounds great. So I think I'm hearing some consensus, just want to run this by you all on generally, if we think it's going to be a big meeting or we need to add, you know, a third kind of business item or something, looking at starting earlier, going a little later and giving you notice, obviously, if it's going to start at a different time, we'll give you advance notice or giving you a heads up that, hey, this might be kind of long one. Um, I'm not hearing, I, I, at this point, I don't think daytime meetings would be our kind of in our top list, um, maybe special meetings on, on different days, but I'm not hearing that as a strong preference. Um, if there's ever a big presentation we need to get in front of you that's gonna eat up a lot of meeting time potentially, seeing if it might be something we can record and send out in advance. Um, and I think I, I appreciate, yeah, Commissioner Allen, you bringing up the idea of those small group briefings again, because there might be some topics where we just need a little bit more prep time with y'all, so. Does that seem like a fair representation of? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so last one, this is, this is just the catch-all question. Um, any burning questions or comments that we can talk about tonight to help us help you. Angela? I don't know if this is exactly a burning question, but um, back to the surveys that we get um, from our community, I don't know how we crack the nut of getting feedback from different people, but um, you know, even with like a slight shift in who we're seeing responding to the surveys, overwhelmingly it's the same group of people and you know Kirkland's a hundred thousand people and not all hundred thousand look like the people responding to surveys so I think it would be nice if there's some way that we can get a more like holistic look mm -hmm. of what Kirklanders think that would be great and maybe even surveying people who don't live here but work here I don't know if you've ever looked into surveying employees but I think that would be interesting too mm -hmm. Yeah, I I appreciate that you bring that up. It's it's definitely observed by us, and we're 
continuing to work on it. Something that we, um, you'll hear a little bit more about from Leandra next week, but it was something after seeing the results from all the comprehensive plan surveys we've had out in the community, we knew we were gonna launch the surveys for the Kingsgate and Juanita neighborhood plan update. So we kind of were like, what what else can we do to try to get a more represent more representative kind of demographic to respond to these surveys? So one of the things that we tried um, that we didn't try with the comp plan was we sent mailers out and we focused the mailers on census blocks that had a higher concentration of lower income households and census blocks, um, or we sent them to multifamily units too. So specifically to multifamily addresses, trying to get at more renters. We haven't seen that, that even move the needle a whole lot you know, recognizing that the very reason we don't hear sometimes from people of lower income or renters is, um, you know, for the very reason we, the very reason we don't hear from them is because they might not have the bandwidth to participate in a survey like that. And so, you know, I think we'll keep trying different things. And what I want our team to do is keep reporting out to the planning commission and to council, at least who we're hearing from very clearly so that we're being transparent about who we are hearing from and who we're not hearing from. Um, and then what we're trying to do as well is trying to pull out some of the data that might be aggregated by age or income so that we can at least for you compare, you know, some of the answers for the housing survey, for example, of like, well, this is what households with incomes lower than 100,000 or 115,000 say compared to the rest of the survey respondents. So we're trying to do some of that too, but we're definitely really open to continued feedback from the commission on you know, how we can bring you that information. And if there's ever any ideas about how we can reach out, we're constantly trying to, to progress on that one. Um, but it's tough and I don't think we're where we want to be on it yet. Mr. Allen. I think that brings up a good point that oftentimes when we're looking at something, we see, oh, well, 70% of the survey members make over 150,000 or something. But, you know, it is interesting that if, let's say, 20 whole people making 50,000 and less, but if they're all saying the same thing, that's really good to know. So even if the, the aggregate number or the percentage number that they represent in the survey, but if it's certainly interesting to hear, especially when there's some consensus there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this is probably uh, along the same lines, but not quite as much. I would like to see some of the education after we do come up with uh, policies and plans that I don't know, the same people are educated of what the decision was. And I think it's pretty evident in the pushback we get on, you know, ADUs and when, you know, uh, more than one house can be put on a lot and uh you know people are surprised and it's uh i don't know it seems like we need to do a better job of educating the public of what the decisions were and uh, and what reasoning is behind it now it's not just everyone thinks it's profit uh, and it's it's not profit it's uh well there's mandates there's uh you know our growing population, it's just changes in our community. Uh, so it, but it's something that people aren't angry until their lot next door is redeveloped. So it, it seems like we need to do a better job in the city of 
educating. And I think if you know ahead of time and also you know the reasons why it's not just somebody's lining their pockets, uh, it's something that is good for our community. Um, and I think that's kind of goes along with our trying to get surveys out ahead of time too. Mr. Heiser. Do you think some, I think that specifically that question, because we received a lot of emails today about um, South Rose Hill and the three, you know, 80s middle missing housing. Um, because I believe that um, that code was changed or those decisions were made in 2020. And didn't we, I mean, I wasn't here then. Scott, were you here then? Yeah. March, okay, March. yes, March 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't know maybe um, there's going to be a, a time period where people weren't um, as engaged because no one was engaged with, um, you know, that sort of thing. Is that what was on people's mind? So I, you know, know what? It was prior to COVID, though, that okay. the discussion started because it was when it was one of the first things when I came on the commission mm -hmm. uh, and we were it was open. It was uh, and we went and we had a ton of people come yeah. mm -hmm. to meetings. Most okay. of the people that actually came, though, were fairly educated on ADUs mm -hmm. and, and it was uh, people who were very in favor. It was not we, we had very little pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, that's just what came to mind. Maybe we'll have a, a little bit of that because there's going to be a leg uh, of time that the decisions were made and the, um, the housing is built or it comes to fruition. Right. And then people go, Oh gosh, that's not what I expected. Um, and is there, do we look back at that? Do, are we going to be doing, for that, I think there might have been some talk about just general talk about how that's impacting. Um, it was going to be sometime this summer. Is that going to be somewhere in our... Stop me if I'm not answering the question that you asked. But um, so we we came and gave you kind of an, a status update on mm -hmm. missing or yeah, missing middle implementation. Yeah, I think last fall. Um, and showed you the housing dashboard. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's actually, I think it was the fall of 2022. So it's been a while. And I think we had talked about coming back periodically and giving you updates on where we're at in terms of middle housing implementation, what's actually getting produced out there in mm -hmm. the community. And so I think you're probably due for another one of those. And that's a, okay. that's a good reminder um, for us. So I think we could look at maybe um, sneaking that into your housing element um, yeah. mm -hmm. talks that are coming up, because you're gonna have a couple touches on that. Okay. Um, so at least for, you know, kind of numbers and stuff, we can get you some updates. Um, and then with the, the middle housing task on the work program, I think we're definitely going to be looking to dig into implementation, just not, not just quantitatively, but qualitatively, how's it, See, going? How's it going? What are the issues? Okay. Things like that. So, and that's coming in when did we say that one was? Hoping to start work on it later this year as we finish up the bulk of the comprehensive plan work. Yeah, okay. So the later half of the year. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I think from all the way back around this time last year when we were talking about the 23 to 25 work program, I remember Commissioner Rosman saying, this is the next new project. So that's what I've had in my head is <laughs> as 
we have staff kind of finish their parts of the comprehensive plan looking to get that project staffed and roll into it as soon as we can. Um, we know it's important and we also have to get HB 1110 implemented before June of next year. So, mm -hmm. or by the end of June of next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that question, I mean, that's the question of how to engage people who, when we're dealing with a relatively abstract thing, like a comp plan, when people really get excited when there's a tree that's being cut yes. down and, you know, the property next door to make way for a house, like that is a, yeah, that's like a fundamental planning question. I mean, everywhere that I think we've worked as planners has that same issue. And regardless of, yeah, the amount of outreach that you do, yeah, there's always people who are surprised. So I, I think we're, um, we've been trying different things with the comp plan, right? Outreach effort. We've been, yeah, trying to contact people in different ways and contact people and get people involved who haven't been involved in the past. But, um, yeah, regardless, there's just people who, um, it's just really, really hard to engage. This is very abstract stuff, right? We're talking about changes in land use designations and these overarching policies and yeah, conveying those to people in a way that helps them understand how is it going to affect my ho the house next door or my, my neighborhood is really, really difficult. So I think if folks have ideas for that, like we're, we're all areas, it's something we've been working on, I think as part of the comp plan effort, but obviously we have a lot more work to do, but it is like a, yeah, a fundamental question in the planning world, how to like get people to understand that the comp plan is meaningful and that when policies are adopted, like that results in real things in five or 10 years, we actually adopt regulations and then things happen. And it's too late to, um, when a building is being built next to you that you don't like, it's too late <laughs> at that point, right? You need to get involved earlier. So anyway, hard, hard question. Yeah, I remember with the, uh, I was on the housing strategy advisory group with the city back in like 2017-ish or so. And that's, you know, we had, there was a lot of community outreach with that. And then um, there was the, when I first joined the commission, there was the op-ed that I uh, wrote and got posted on the, on Kirkland Reporter to help try to like in, in, encourage and uh, frame the discussion. Um, and, uh, but, but beyond that, one of the things that I, you know, getting back to the uh, uh, understanding the why behind the code, it's something I really wish we could figure out a way to do better. I know it would be way too much to do with the granularity of the zoning code that we have today. But as, we, as we're able to pare it down, if there was some way that we could say, you know, even if it's like a link to uh, something outside of the code itself that gives, you know, this is the why behind, or this is the intended outcome of the code. Then it also helps us go back and see, like, you know, because you know, we'll go back and we'll be wondering why. Why did we write the code this way? What What were we expecting to see? We can compare the the outcomes against what our expectations were and use that to help guide us and, and refine. And maybe it's that the outcomes that we wanted then are different now. Maybe it's that the regulations we created. Um, need, just need to be adjusted to uh, be better aligned with what the outcomes that, that, we're, that we're intending. Um, but I think that's, you know, as I'm, especially as I'm hearing the comments, um, there's uh, uh, definitely some, some catching up we have to do to help people understand the, the larger picture. But also, I'm trying to take in how are people seeing these changes? and understand what the impacts are and how can we refine the code to be better aligned with, with the positive outcomes that we expect. Commissioner Singel. Thank you, Mr. Chair. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach this from two sides. I think one of the things that would be helpful for us to do a better job of when we, like we, those of us have been at this for a while, like there's an insane amount of jargon buried in both everything from the topic, the name of a topic, to the staff memo that describes what the topic is. I wonder if we can do a better job of actually when we present an agenda, just having the public consumable version of why this agenda item matters, right? Like this, the, the most galvanized I see the public is when they can look at something and go, oh, this is about 85 foot buildings in my, in my neighborhood, right? And people show up, right? Or when we talk about, you know, density in, you know, a redevelopment of a grocery store, like people show up. And when we talk about land use, like nobody understands any of this stuff. And so talking about this in terms of like, real world long-term implications, two or three bullets that might just help people go, oh, okay, this is relevant to me and I should pay attention might be an approach that would help. The other side of this, and I was struck by a comment that one of the council members made last year during the joint meeting, which is that they watched our meeting, um, which was great. I don't expect most people to watch our meetings. Um, council or not. But when I read our minutes, I don't really get a good sense of what really happened in our meetings, right? I mean, I, it's kind of a blow by blow and I know there's a ton of work that goes into preparing good minutes, but like what we end up saying is, you know, we had a discussion and we voted on something. But what we don't really extract in the minutes is a conversation about what were the actual issues that were debated and where did we come down on those issues, right? Unless there's an amendment request or some other change, we don't really explain the essence of the conversation, which actually is most relevant, especially when we convey to council or when the public goes back and says, oh, the planning commission discussed something and like they approved something and they're a bunch of idiots. Um, and we've heard that happen before. Um, it would be good, I think, for us to have a record that allows people to understand that we actually did talk about stuff in an intelligent way and understand the issues that were in front of us and why we got to the balance, that we, the decisions we got to. I realize that's a ton of work to do, but it feels like it's a, it's a gap in where we're at. Angela. Does it have to be a lot of work though? Or are we at the point with like AI transcripts that we could at least have like a, you know, written I, transcript of the meeting for anybody who wants to read it or scan to a relevant section? I mean, smart cities. in theory, it shouldn't, yeah, smart cities <laughs> item. It doesn't seem like it should be that much work if, I mean, summarizing it yeah. would be a lot more work in theory, but especially like with auto captioning and AI transcript stuff, it seems like that would be something that doesn't have to be a ton of mm -hmm. a staff time. 
Rodney. I, I remember seeing this actually addressed in our orientation manual, so I just pulled it up. Um, and uh, in section, let's see, rules of procedure section 10, minor, majority and minority opinions. Now this maybe doesn't hit it directly on, but I think that you know, in some of the cases, what I've seen is like, say that someone votes against um, you know, affordable housing requirements. I, there's a huge risk there that you know someone going back and looking at the minimums, you know, looking at the legislation would would say in that vote would say, oh, they oppose um, affordable housing when that's really not the case at all. It's you know there's a lot more nuance to that, um, and uh, and I think that especially in cases like that, it would be really beneficial to uh, encourage the uh, you know a minority report on like what were the concerns. Uh, with this, or even the majority report of, you know, this this might not be obvious to others down the road, um, and this wouldn't then be a, you know, a burden on the staff. It would be, you know, let's you know appoint someone on the commission to write up, uh, you know, what what were the um, the big points behind the discussion, and uh, and then that could be maybe reviewed at a subsequent meeting. Um, I'm not sure. I've never actually seen how this plays out in reality, um, but uh, you know, maybe that's something that we could tap into. Any other commissioner comment? Um, somewhat related. Uh, it would be helpful if we had just this. If the city picked out a source for what is the actual average rent in Kirkland right now. Um, I look at our comprehensive plan that is currently adopted and it cites a median rent figure from 2012. As I understand, we adopted this in 2015, I think. Um, even then it was already out of date. It'd be helpful for people to, I mean, even for just the benefit of the commissioners to know where rent is at. I mean, I'm familiar with it because I just signed a new lease. Um, but a lot of people aren't paying attention to every listing on Zillow right now. Um, and Obviously, there's no perfect data source, but just picking one and accepting the flaws and saying this doesn't represent everything, but this is a good snapshot at the cost of housing um, in our city right now. And I do want to separate that from looking at statistics of uh, what percent of people's incomes that they're paying, um, because a lot of those data sources are going to be slower, whereas I think there's a lot of more frequent and precise data sets that just show average rent. Um, Ideally, we break it down by bedrooms and unit type, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, we have a, um, I don't know if you've talked about this at a previous meeting, Ali, but um, we have a community profile that an intern has been working on for a long time that has a lot of the data that you're talking about, not just average rents and you know the average cost of housing in Kirkland, but um, commute patterns in Kirkland and um, de other demographic information. So Ali, what's the, do you know what the schedule publicate, or the, um, the anticipated publication of that? Is likely to be. Yeah, we're we should be getting a final draft of that for review in the next few weeks, hoping to get that kind of published by the end of February, uh, maybe beginning of March. So we're actually it's taking us a little longer because 
in the course of working on the community profile, some updated information came out. Um, and so we're going back and revising certain sections to at least publish the most recent data we had for um, the population demographics. Yeah, and we're trying to make it accessible as well. We've been talking a lot about how to get people engaged in the facts and the nuances of our decision-making process. And um, the intent behind the community profile is to make it really um, engaging to the public. So it's like very, it's not very text focused, it's very image and graphic focused. So um, I think you guys will like it when you see it, but it's, it's very data rich and hopefully it'll give us all sort of like a foundation for um, making policy decisions in the comp plan when we get to that point, so. Uh, will that be broken down at a neighborhood level or are these statistics all citywide? It's, yeah. most of it is citywide. I think there might, there's certain information that we've broken down to the neighborhood or the census um, block level. Okay, because definitely when it, when it comes to housing costs, there's a huge mm -hmm. variety in the city. And when we talk about what the median of Kirkland is, mm -hmm. that represents maybe South Juanita, yeah. um, but not so much Lakeview versus North Van Hill. Commissioner Rutherford. This, this is something I would hope we could maybe incorporate into the housing dashboard. I just you know pulled it up and there's, there's some aspects of this, but I think not this particular, uh, I'd say rather critical aspect. Um, so I don't know if that's feasible at all. I know it's tough to figure out at what point you draw the line of like, that's what we're going to include <laughs> and everything else is too difficult to, uh, to maintain. Is it the, the average rent that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, the average the, rent. Okay. But, but I mean, we should you know, be thinking about what are the metrics that really matter? What are the things that you know, are, are um, updated, you know, where we should be able to update them frequently and see what is our impact? Uh, where are things going off course early on? Uh, rather than waiting for you know a once a year update, uh, you know, uh, thinking back to you know like my line of work, you know, we'd set like this is our threshold, and we will get an alert at this point if it's uh, out out of uh, uh, out of our you know uh, band of tolerance, basically. And uh, uh, of course, you know, our alerts would probably all be going off right now. But uh, <laughs> great. Okay, I, any other comments? <laughs> I know. Very open-ended. <laughs> uh, okay, Commissioner Allen. So, no, you're right, it's not a simple question. It is very open-ended, but as we do look at the housing element, it is it's fundamentally important to have these data points, to have the data points of, yeah, you know, yeah, it, it is important. I know it's a lot, but how many of these units are one bedroom, two bedroom? What are the occupancy rates of these units? You know, we think, oh, we should be building tons of like family type multifamily opportunities for stationary. Well, when that starts happening, are people renting those? You know, that's just gonna be constantly important information. So, um, Having this information for the comp plan, absolutely. Um, but perhaps also finding that living document. I've seen some of the dashboard stuff, um, but it seems like when we're really, if we're really making policy and um, really new, new zoning and stuff, we absolutely have to have that updated um, constantly. And then we can start seeing some patterns too. Yeah. Angela. So uh, we had also talked about uh, at one point seeing what the like results of 
previous policy is, especially as far as like housing starts are concerned. Uh, when we talk the housing section of the comp plan, can we get an update on what's actually happening? CBRE did a study uh, like in October of the number of housing starts that were supposed to start in the Seattle Metro in 2023, and 90% of those projects didn't start. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I expect Kirkland's probably seen the same. So less about what projects have had pre-application meetings or permits, but like how many projects have actually gotten started? Because I think that's a much more realistic snapshot of what, what we're expecting to see as far as housing is concerned. We can see, uh, I mean, that we'll have to see what, how we can extract that data. I don't know if we have it easily accessible. You know, people, we issue permits, right? And then people call an inspection. So um, we don't always have like a great sense of like whether a project has started or not, I don't think. Um, I mean, I think, has a building permit been pulled even? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Like that level, I think, is oh, pretty. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty easy to get. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that may not be perfect. There are some projects that'll mm -hmm. pull a permit and not go, but. Yeah, yeah. If you're pulling a building permit, like you, it's those are so expensive. Yeah. Odds are, if you're pulling a building permit, yeah, more likely you're going to be proceeding. Yeah, that's right. We we'll definitely have that data already, so we can share that. Yeah. Um, sorry, Mr. Just because we just got it, we just got the um, it's like the development report. Yeah, mm -hmm. major development. So even just there, you can see, or maybe there's an asterisk you put this like. The status of this one has changed. You know, mm. just an asterisk means it's changed. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you can see then, like, oh, it was in this. It is proceeding. It is, you know, moving in. It's not just been sitting there for right, a year. Right, right, right. Um, because that'd be helpful. I think that would pretty much show what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, Commissioner Rosman, you're you mean um, that a developer has gone in and actually paid for the permit? Then, yeah. It's true that they're large numbers. I don't know what they are for commercial. I do know what they are for residential. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they, they get to be pretty big numbers. So yeah. if, if you're, not if it's ready to be pulled, but if you've paid for it and you're, yes. you're ready to go, you're not paying that unless you're, you're starting mm -hmm. usually. Okay, I think ready to move on. All right, that, that's all that staff had for you tonight. So okay. when Chair Reiser, you are ready, I think you can adjourn the meeting unless there's any other topics your commissioners um, have. Well, there is cake. There is cake, but I don't think you have to do cake on the... Okay, <laughs> does, okay I want to make sure. Does any commissioner have anything they want to add to this evening? Great, then I will call this meeting adjourned. Great. Thank you.